Welcome in to the DNVR Gaming Podcast presented by WGT Golf. It is the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players around the world. We are all experts in it, top of the line players for sure. You can play at a bunch of real famous golf courses including Pebble Beach, Beth Page, Black and St. Andrews. You can challenge any one of us just about any time. Download it for free on your computer, your phone, whatever it may be. You all know I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. We got Rudo and AJ along as normal, but we got Brendan Vogt with us here for the first time. A pivotal member of the DNVR gaming crew here. He's mostly been working behind the scenes. You know him as our social guru. Does a lot of Denver Nuggets basketball content for us here, but also... A huge gamer, Brendan. Thanks for uh, coming on. And how's your WGT game? Thanks for having me on, dude. And I, I was sharpening it up yesterday, tightening it up, as I think the golf community says. I did a terrible job in that um, inaugural grand open on Sunday. But since then, I'm six for six in my head-to-head matches. So feeling hot and ready for the next tournament. I mean, let's be honest. You were hungover for that tournament from your victory the day before. I was I was very hungover, which as it turns out does translate to digital tap screen golf. Like it is I couldn't keep my focus. That's right. I buried the lead on the introductions there. I should have introduced you as DNVR's champion of FIFA. Thank you. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That feels better. I put that in my Twitter bio and I lost three followers. Could have been bots, but I like to believe that they just had enough. But yeah, I'm a champ, and it feels good, and I can't wait to defend it. So which which one goes first on your next resume, F- FIFA champ or Adonis? Oh, yeah, Adonis first. Adonis-like <laughs> FIFA champion is a good way to introduce oneself, I think. There you go. Yeah. I, I can't believe can. I won that. I can't believe I won that tournament. I've been playing with some of those dudes prior, like just DNVR gaming tournaments <laughs> that were all kind of behind the scenes, um, and I was getting my butt kicked by a lot of members. So I was pretty nervous for that tournament, but I, I dug deep and I, I guess you just call it a champion's will probably. <laughs> now, Rudo and AJ, you, you called some of those games. Are you going to agree with the analysis on Brandon's championship run? Yes. <laughs> having, uh, having watched one of the games from a previous tournament against Pat, I think he, uh, he's, thanking his lucky stars that Parker beat Pat in the other semifinal. Yes, but le- I do think there's a dynamic going on because you saw Parker pulled out to a pretty big lead over Pat. I think there's like a handful of us that are good enough that we're not used to losing. And you'll see when they go down one or two goals, they panic and they stop playing their game and they start pressing for goals. And if you press against a, a semi semifinals caliber opponent, you dig yourself a deeper hole. So what I'm saying is I want another shot at Pat. Um, shout out Parker, but I'm disappointed in Pat for not holding up his end of the bargain. And it's coming. The showdown's coming eventually. <laughs> uh, I'm ready for it. I, I got to try to get back into that. I've had a big enough uphill battle trying to remember how to play Madden without having done it for the last five years or so. Uh, similar story with four FIFA. verticals. Find the tight end. Same, same shit. It's always been. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, tell that to Spano and Hank, both of whom went out first round of the playoffs on the Twitch channel. Yeah, Love both of whom punted multiple we, times. Uh, they both punted multiple times. It's like, yeah, this isn't a real league. What are you guys doing? <laughs> you go for it on fourth. Have you played yeah. Madden before? No, it's good though, because we because Harrison is is uh one of our three co-champions for the inaugural grand open on WGT. Uh, of course, again, I won that FIFA tournament, so it's good not to. It would start to look like we've got this thing rigged if we're just clean. So it's no longer a good look for us in the community. So I'm, I'm um, glad we've got some losers on this company. That's what I'm trying to say. It'll be it'll be fun when we get back. Uh, we get back on top of things this weekend in Rocket League when Guy wins. Who, who's our is, is Guy our? Uh, He's the, the ace. The yeah. yeah, the ace. Yeah, I believe that. I believe I gotta get into Rocket League, man. I, I've always I've never really I've dabbled, but I never really got it. There it is a learning like curve. I it is hard. steep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in quarantine season. It's like, oh, you haven't been playing, you're screwed. Right, right. 
Call of Duty is like that too. You're just like, if you miss the first week, don't bother because there are some people who have put hours into that thing already. Every camp spot been figured out. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those people now, by the way. I'm the worst. But <laughs> Well, I was going to say it's funny because, you know, you were saying we don't want the DNVR staff to dominate too many of these things we're doing. But as far as this podcast has gone and us telling our like stories of the week, it's mostly been the three of us talking about losing and not being good at stuff. Yeah. And so it's nice to have somebody on who's, you know, <laughs> well, you guys probably, I'll probably also probably play like really challenging games. I just play call of duty, pretty basic. Um, but playing a lot of death stranding too. I was talking to AJ about that. That's not really a game one can win or lose in. Um, I'm just doing a lot of chores and like, it occurred yeah. to me this morning that I'm like doing more chores in on my PS4 than I am in real life. I was life. gonna say Death Stranding feels a little bit like a corporate job. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, I actually don't want to climb the mountain and hand deliver this fragile. First, I had to bring someone a pizza the other day, in Death <laughs> and that was when I was like, every I can't decide if this game's good or not yet. And like the pizza part, I was like, ah, back the other direction. I think. <laughs> What so so do you have you have you played a lot of Hideo Kojima games before? I, like have you done Metal Gear Solid or I've, any of that? I've played Metal Gear Solid, but I haven't played through Metal Gear Solid. Okay. Because he's a, a certifiable weirdo. Yeah. Uh, that's that much is clear. Uh, and I and I'm a huge fan. I haven't played Death Stranding yet. I really want to, uh, because I like Kojima and because my girlfriend has a huge crush on Norman Reedus. Okay. Um but so far, can you recommend it? Yes, absolutely. Even, I'm not sure if it's a good game, but I 10 out of 10 recommend playing it. Like if you're a gamer, you know, his mission, I think, was to create like a new genre of game. And I, I certainly wouldn't go that far. But I do think he succeeded in, in creating a game I haven't played before. And and that is something I'm I'm typically like, that's what I value probably now more than anything in a game. And like, even if I don't finish it or whatever, if I paid forty to sixty dollars, but you're showing me something I haven't seen, um, and I can sink my teeth into that way, it's worth it for me. Kind of no matter where it goes from there, it's worth it just for the subtitle the internet gave it of Norman Reedus and the Magic Fetus. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> the, the this this game also like it presents it to uh, you like as if you've sat down to play Witcher Three. You're like, oh, there's definitely some books I missed, but no, no one has the context for whatever the bridge baby is they just drop that on you and I, I, I i'm looking at the first 30 minutes was me looking around like is anyone else seeing this <laughs> by myself on the couch uh, but but cool man i mean somewhere in between a movie and a game and but then halfway through you're just doing people's chores for them <laughs> <laughs> I got, I, yeah, I definitely got to check it out. That, I think that actually leads us into this conversation nicely because on the first episode, the three of us all got to give kind of our origin stories. So why don't you mm. give us, um, you know, I was going to say an abridged version, but the, the, the floor is yours as, as long as you need. I feel like talking I have, today. Can I just let uh, it Well, fan, good thing you're on a podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, Super yeah, Nintendo, man. a gamer? What are you into? Cool. Super Nintendo Entertainment System was my start back way back in the day. Had an older brother. Um, and so we were playing like first game I remember loving besides Mario, the classics, is Sunset Riders, um, which is I don't know if you guys are familiar. Uh, it's nope. one of the hardest. It's an arcade game, so it's designed to just bleed quarters. Um so you're, you just die. You die constantly. And it took me and my brother probably six or seven years to finally beat it. But it, it was like my favorite. It was the first time I had friends coming over to play a game with me, you know, at like a really young age. And we couldn't beat it. And it took us years and years. And so that was probably where I first fell in love with um, devoting more time and energy to the, the other world than, than this one. Um, but from there, man, I like... I mostly played sports games for a long time. I was probably headed towards a, I think a, like I was down a path towards being a pretty basic bro. Uh, but I had a brother who just had other inclinations and, and preferences and, and tastes. And he always kind of pushed me more towards like the nerdier stuff, like encouraging RPGs as opposed to like Madden and all that. Um, 
and that was in like everything television gaming movies and and slowly his sort of worldview and interest kind of permeated mine which was like crucial in me becoming a non-douchebag i think so i'm very grateful to him in that sense but but also because of video games because now i'm the kind of person where i would say i probably do more like rpg games or open world exploring than than madden or fifa or whatever yeah, it's interesting. You've got a, a similar arc to AJ's. Yeah, a lot of games, a, a lot of sports games, and then uh, later on in life, as I the older I got, the more I picked up actual video games. Actual video games, yeah. And it's now to the point where I actually just don't play sports games at all anymore. I just don't. I don't play any of them. The the roster building is what I've fallen in love with. So. Yeah. Like 2K, I don't care for the gameplay, but like I'm constantly like, well, how would I fix the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Atlanta Hawks or whatever? Um, and that's like the closest thing you can get to a, like a really complex simulation of of that experience. So that part's cool. But I'm with you, man. Real video games. I don't know if that's a pretentious thing to say, but it feels appropriate. It feels I mean, accurate. I don't, I don't mean it that way. I just no, mean but I like, get it. Like yeah. like actual video games that are not like trying to be real life sims sure, sure sports you know like an actual like you're immersed into an actual like artificial world that's been created and yep. thought up by a team of people which at this point is more than just like um hey what like new context can we drop like a, a shooter or an action player in but now you have a lot of games that sort of hold i think similar cultural value to to um some fiction tv or books right which is all right, this is fiction. It's not nonfiction. I can't say I'm learning something, but by consuming it, I feel like I'm adding to my depth as a person and, and like I'm getting something from, from, from doing these things and the way I'm thinking and see the world changing. So there's a lot of games now, I think, that are almost more like short stories than they are what I once considered a game. And I, I've, I like those a lot. There's, it's a game that makes you want to learn more about everything in it, right? A, a baseball game... You play your player, you go on the field, you try to hit the ball and catch the ball, and then the game ends and there's nothing outside of that baseball field. On the other hand, I actually just bought this, Oh yeah, which is the history of the World of Warcraft Volume 1, so very much I am on that side of things when it comes to my gaming history. I mean, at this point, you have fully built immersive alternative universes that you can you can live in man and like at a time like now i mean it's obvious every gamer knows it but in quarantine season it's when you not only have an excuse but plenty of incentive to dip out of out of your day-to-day life like you know i'm i don't often feel like i'm stuck in my apartment because i'm exploring the world in death stranding or whatever and and there's value to that like psychologically there's tangible value to that right now yeah, you know, it it's funny we we did the review <clears throat> on last week's pod of the Final Fantasy 7 remake and to pull back the curtain just a little bit. I was standing right before the final boss when we did the review of it. I have since obviously completed the game and its original was one that's credited for, you know, a lot of this people starting to take games more seriously as as Brendan's been talking about and to see that in the year 2020 the way this final comment of like it's a remake that knows it's a remake and the whole thing has sparked this entire conversation about what it means to retell a story and how art and its original form and readaptive forms and like it's one of the most interesting i've never seen anything quite like it before like it's literally i think if i'm reading the text properly there are two characters in that story who know they're in a retelling of a story that has been told before. They're like aware of that on a meta, like break the fourth wall kind of. Right. And I'm just like, that is intensely interesting. And I I would like to know more about what's happening there, but to think that, yeah, like you're just not going to get that experience from candy crush or MLB, the show, or, you know, But then also there are times in your life where that's precisely what you're interested in. I would like to tap out of the real world, but I don't want to go to another one. I just want to swing at the ball and see what happens. <laughs> right. I don't need all these other fictional problems. Yeah, yeah precisely. 
because I play Death Stranding enough, and then I'm like, then I'm like on top of coronavirus, I'm worried about BTS, and I'm like, well, they're not real, so you, you can get that kind of dread out of your life. Deliver a pizza, and then you have to go order a pizza in real life. <laughs> in real, yeah, <laughs> constantly looking for more separation. Well, one. <laughs> franchise that has an extraordinary legacy inside of this conversation and video games taking this step forward and one that i know is very near and dear to aj's heart and had some big news this week probably oh yeah um, potentially but yeah you know how news works in, in these days people are saying things could a mass effect full-on remake remaster whatever be in the works if so I mean, what was your reaction even just to seeing those headlines? Oh, well, you can go back and watch yesterday's abs pod when I saw it live. And he had, had to, nearly had to, broke down live on the abs pod. Yeah, <laughs> had to resist crying because I was so happy from seeing it. Um, no, I mean, I think it's great. I, I, I think that I, I, two things. I, I think it's a series that definitely needs it. Um, it, it, I think the first game came out in 2004 when we're talking in eternity, right? Like you go back and look at the original Mass Effect and you're like, it's kind of ugly. Yeah, it does not play well now in 2020. Oh, and and like that game, that game needs, it needs some some quality of life upgrades. Mm. Because you go back and you play it now and you're like, wow, this inventory system is extremely bad. And you waste a lot of time and you spend a lot of time on uh, like these, instead of a load screen, they would just send you on an elevator and you would just like ride this elevator for like 20 seconds. Oh yeah. And I had almost forgotten about the elevator. Just like cool the first time. Right. Then... It's it's like, there are like three moments in the entire game where it's cool because you're listening to the news while you're on the elevator and the news is about like, your exploits like right, right oh reports from this planet that you just left and like and how the news like spins whatever happens and and like you know like what really took place there and so like it's it was a cool idea but you spend a lot of time in the game on those elevators where you're just like oh, we're, we're wasting a lot of time here and mm. then of course on all the different planets you you drive around on those planets and the Mako just handles like such garbage and they basically just need to go back and put the controls that they had from Andromeda into the original Mako in Mass Effect 1 and it would just make it so much better. And like lots of quality of life updates and HD remastering make it look big and beautiful all over again and and really let us let us re-enjoy the franchise as it was. Um I also think that it's probably them setting up, uh, trying to get the the taste of Mass Effect Andromeda out of everybody's mouths. It's now been several years, and the nostalgia of the original Mass Effect series is still pretty powerful for a lot of people. And you could you could capitalize on that. You do an HD remake, and then you turn that into a lead into a new, you know, either a follow-up to Andromeda or just an entirely separate storyline that you want to make and reintroduce the Mass Effect series uh, to the, to the gaming world. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it as somebody who is a, a fan of those games for sure. Um, and, uh, and as somebody who's now seen like really good remakes oh, and yeah, I, I think it's also going to be an interesting time to have this conversation about uh, the legacy of the kind of open world decision-making games. Uh, I, I think that that's really what the last two generations of gaming were defined by. I think sort of near the end of this last generation, we've seen, a return to people wanting things that are a little smaller, a little more linear, a little more simplistic, just because everything got so huge there for a while. Um, Rudo, it's been a minute since we've heard from you. What is your um, relationship to the age of open world gaming? 
so you saw from my World of Warcraft book that obviously I, I love open world games where you can go anywhere and do anything you want, but at the same time, I someone compared... So there are four continents and two other worlds in World of Warcraft at this point. That universe is... It's too big to explore all right. of it. You simply cannot. Um, and that digs at me a little bit because I am absolutely one of those completionist gamers who picks up a game and says, oh, I'm going to 100% this thing. I need to check every chest. I need to check every room. I need to do all of the things. And with games that big, as big as they are now, it's impossible. You cannot 100% these games. There's not even a, a way to track if you've 100% of these games because they just have randomly generated quests that pop up throughout the world at times. And you, you'd you have to like manually track it and get one in a million odds to do some of these things. Which is cool in its own right, but at the same time, it leaves me with games like Skyrim, where... I go into it all gung-ho, and I get 30% of the way through the game, done a ton of side quests, haven't even really progressed the main story, and I'm left like feeling like I've done enough with this game, and uh, it'll right. lose a little bit of that draw for me, and I'll put it down. And then when I come back, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I have no idea what's happening yeah. in the game... It's so overwhelming yeah. right, to just jump back in. And you're like, well, what do I do now? I guess I'll start over. And the process starts again. And right. it, it just feels like you're on the treadmill a little bit at a certain point. I feel the same way about Skyrim. I've actually never finished a Skyrim file. I do that all the time. I like get halfway through, I'm like, well, that's that gaming experience. Yeah. So the treadmill's real. And it's the... I've really enjoyed my time in Skyrim, but... Sure. That's interesting, because I've always thought, like, well, I don't mind having a large-scale kind of side quest-type deal in Explorable World, because people can sort of scale it down to their preference. Like, if you don't want to do all those side quests, you just simply don't have to. But for those of us that like to, there at least there's that option. But I guess I've never thought about, like, like honestly, just the OCD kind of angle of... No, man, I would really prefer to, to wrap this all up. Yep. I, <laughs> especially, and the new thing in games, which I appreciate quite a bit, is you'll get to a quest in the main storyline, and it'll bring up like a pop-up box like, hey, if you do this, you're going to progress, and stuff you were able to do, you're yep. not going to be able to do anymore. Yeah. And so right. I'm like, I'd never end up doing those quests, because it's like, well, i got to do everything first. Right. But that makes it more digestible in a way. For yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. It, it parts out the game a little bit, at least. So, I, I see both sides of it. I absolutely play both vastly open-world games and more on-rails-type things, but it does feel like... At, at what point... How big is too big, I guess? Right. Yeah, I've always been... Uh... Uh, I'm really not into open world games very much. Um, I prefer linear experiences. I think it's, I, I think it's, I think that open world games have masked a lot of really bad game design because they, they hide behind, Hey, we'll let you play the game the way that you want to. And so they don't have to worry about tight writing. They don't have to worry about character development. They don't have to worry about a lot of the different elements that linear experiences force mm. uh, in game design. And I think that it's easier to make a big open world game because you're just like, oh, well, hey, here's a huge sandbox for you to play in. Go play in it. And whatever the experience is, is the result of whatever you choose to do versus a, a, a more linear experience that pushes you down paths. And, and says, with tighter hey, gameplay. Right. And like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to kind of guide you along a certain way. Um, I, I've always been a bigger fan of the linear experience. There are some amazing open world games out there. Like, like Breath of the Wild is insanely good. Mm. Like the, the game is, I, I don't know if there's ever been a better made game I, than Breath of the Wild. I think there's a, a, definition to be made there though because Breath of the Wild is in in no way a sandbox game. It's open world, but there's still storylines to follow. When you're talking about like a true sandbox game like Minecraft no or, or yeah, or 7 Days to Die exactly. Yeah, those are I I don't know. I have no direction and I do not know what to do in those games. Like 
I you'll see other people playing. It's like, all right, I guess I build a house and I build my house, and then I I sit there and shoot zombies, and I have confusion on where to go next in those games. Sure. I need direction, I guess. Sure. But there's been a lot of sort of synthesized kind of in between experiences, right? Like Fallout is one that will absolutely push you down a trail. But if you want to go off trail, that that experience is near limitless. Yeah, exactly. I I prefer that kind of sweet spot in the middle. Um, I haven't, No Man's Sky interests me. I never played it. I know it flopped so hard on release, but then apparently with the updates since, it's far closer to what what folks were were hoping for. I don't know if you guys have messed around with that at all. I I, I, kind of want to, just out of curiosity. Even back when that game was getting all the hype, I kind of looked at it and was like, Boy, I don't know if this game is for me. <laughs> right. It felt it felt too open world, like too on my own. Like I'm, I don't, I don't want to do space errands all day. <laughs> you know, like I, I just don't want to. And it felt like, oh, go to a planet and scan the plants, and you know, oh, there's the enemies, and there, and it, I was just like, uh, this, this is just not my, it's just not for me. It never connected with me. I was excited about it when I first saw it because it felt like a big, bold, game-changing idea. Right. And right. then the more the more they got into the development cycle and it got closer to the release date, you started getting politician-style answers where you were like, huh, we're not getting any actual details from him. He's just saying a lot of words. And you started feeling like you were being sold a bill of goods, and then the game came out and flopped super hard, and you were like, "Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah." I, I was drawn to it um, from a certain angle, uh, mostly from like uh, like finding a bunch of different species of animals angle, and like just kind of flying around and exploring. But yeah, I, I because of all of those reasons, never bothered to get into it and uh like aj was said like i'm i'm more similar in that way i I've, I've grown up on famously linear experiences it's it's funny when people try to argue that modern final fantasy games are really linear and the early ones were open world it's like you're just fooled by a nintendo <coughs> game showing you a world map like there's only one place to go fella there's yeah. two cities on yeah. the entire continent right right <laughs> like they've always been super linear and it's because they've always had a a story to tell you and they need you to experience it at a certain pace and have all the character development all the things they've talked about and i i almost had this experience with the this whole era right at the beginning um because i played morrowind back in the day and really enjoyed it and then oblivion came out and i got it and i made my dude and I played that first dungeon and I ran out into the world and I went, uh, this is too big and scary. I can't do this. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And I don't really? think I ever played that game that's, ever again. Yeah. That's interesting to me. I loved both Morrowind and Oblivion, but Oblivion was a big step for Bethesda where they introduced proper tra- quest tracking and brought in that side of the game to where like okay here's your compass and here's a marker on the mini map where you go and do things in Morrowind you literally had to like read text dialogue or like when you the guy was like go find my journal you better read that journal because you're going to miss out on something if you don't and right. you you could just go in anywhere in the world in that game there yeah. There's a speed run of Morrowind that is under one minute because if you go to the correct places, you can get a scroll of jumping and jump straight to the last boss and inside his like cave and then kill him with spells. You have to know that first, obviously. Right, but like, that's amazing. That game, Morrowind, was one of my first experiences with an actual open world game and. Bethesda did such a good job of taking advantage of knowing it was going to be that for people and would just do crazy things like that scroll of jumping just in a random spot in the world. They have it programmed where a guy falls out of the air right in front of you and dies and you loot the scrolls of jumping from him and you're like, what just happened? I have, and it's only in this one spot in the world that you have to go to. And if you don't know about it and you randomly stumble across it, you're just like, 
wait, what? And those are the great moments of, of yep. open world gaming. Yeah. Which is, um, which was something like when that was first introduced, I mean, the linear stuff is cool, but I do get obsessed with like the, the stuff on the side, like in fallout four was nowhere near the game. Fallout three was, but I actually loved the building. Like what not everyone loved the system or whatever, but like the idea that there was this non-essential, but still like entirely consuming and immersive part of the game was so cool. Like, as opposed to, okay, you have beat this level. You may now progress to the next. And the first time I played, it just blew my mind. So when done correctly, I mean, fallout's not perfectly open world, but, there, there, there is kind of nothing like that first time as a gamer where you stumbled into something that was worth digesting, but not guaranteed or essential, right? A result of your exploration and discovery. Yep. Right. Or in WoW, when the random stuff, well, when when random events like first started happening, like you could just log on and there's a dragon sieging the city now. Yeah. Like, kind of a similar experience of like, I don't know, just kind of opened up your mind to all these possibilities. I mean that, yeah, you. Server events on MMOs are some of the most insane, insane experiences of my life. Granted, back then that server would crash every five minutes, sure, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. but it was it's super cool. Like that's as close to like a VR feeling I've ever had in my life mm-hmm. is being immersed mm-hmm. in a world with other humans playing their characters. And like this is happening now, and you know it because you're logged on, right? Yeah, you, like, you walked into this. If so you missed it, you log on, and the general chat is losing their minds, and you feel <laughs> like you missed out. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, to to tie this kind of back to where we started here, <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that made Mass Effect such an interesting franchise was mm-hmm. because it was the first one that sort of introduced consequences to the decisions that you made. Yeah. Right. And not just conversationally, but like which quests you did. So if you were a completionist, you got a more thorough experience in both Mass Effect 2 and 3. Because, you know, you you meet up with certain people and you're like, oh, this is just a side quest with like, you know, like like in the first game, you come across certain side quests and you roll in there and they're telling you all about this. Oh, there's this group called Cerberus and they're this like extreme pro-human group. And it's like, you're like, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. And it's not really a big deal. It's not a big part of Mass Effect 1. And it's just sort of out there in the side quest. And then, of course, you start Mass Effect 2 and you die in the opening scene and you're like, Oh, my guy's dead now. And then it's like, Oh, by the way, Cerberus is the company that comes and rebuilds you and, and like saves your life and makes you and like, you're back, you know? And then, okay, now, now Shepard is back and dominating the universe, but he's tied to Cerberus. And depending on how deep into mass effect one you got, you were either familiar with them already mm-hmm. and had sort of an inclination where you were like, uh, I don't know if this is a good thing or not. Like, I don't know how this is going to go. And and then there are consequences to everything that you kind of do throughout throughout all three games. You know, there are certain missions. There are certain, you know, in Mass Effect 1, you get to decide on the fate of an entire species. Right. Or, you know, you ran and like, you just go, you go through this crazy boss fight. You're chasing this character that you've been hearing about the entire game you get there you go through the fight you finish the fight you're kind of decompressing and then they're like bam decide the fate of this this species they're they you either you they are either extinct and this species is dead forever because of you or you could choose to save them and try and and try and let them come back despite knowing their problematic history and you're sort of sitting there and you're like oh my gosh is this the is this the Hitler is a baby question? Like, <laughs> what is this? Right? Like, oh my god, this is okay. And then you have to make it right then. You don't. You don't. There's no right. like. There's no like sitting around and like, oh well, I'll come back to this. You make that choice about that species right there, and not knowing what the future holds. And then of course you get to Mass Effect three and whatever decision you made right in in Mass Effect one about the the fate of that species is going to play a critical role in how Mass Effect 3 plays out for you because you made such a big decision and there are consequences now. I love that style of gameplay, man. I love that. 
I and that was that was like the selling point of Mass Effect was like you go through these conversation options, you go through the world, you go through the quests, and whatever you do could have could have something tied into it. This could matter later on. You just don't know what's going to what an it's entire going to game down the line, which is right. really crazy, right? Yeah. Like it could have been, it could have been a big thing. It could have been a little thing, like punching the journalist in the face every game. You know, like it's like a small thing, but if you punch her in the first game, she's super guarded and is like, oh, "I'm gonna be nicer to you in the second game." And then you bop her again by the third game. She's like, "Nah, f this, dude." I'm not being nice. No, we're going to write all kinds of bad story. You're going to get all the bad press. And then, you know, you can bop her again because Shepard likes At that point, maybe she deserves a bopping. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's... I don't know. Mass Effect was very fun to me, but it wasn't the first game I had played quite in that vein. I think that was probably KOTOR. Yeah. Um, and Same. I loved those games. That was the building block. Yeah, exactly. Gotor was the building block to Mass Effect and Dragon Age. And yeah, exactly. And and, I mean, obviously, nowadays, looking back on Gotor, it had massive, massive problems (laughs) with that game. But the idea of being able to choose your own path really and with kotor especially if you wanted to be a sith you could be a sith you could be pure evil in that game and you could change the way the game ended based on that right it, that was at its most basic level but mass effect basically took everything kotor did and made it significantly better don't you guys feel though like we're still waiting for someone to really knock the decision-making game out of the park. Like, it, it, it feels like there's a complete version of it that has not been made yet. Honestly, I'm, like, I'm yearning. It feels like it's almost gone the wrong direction. It, yeah. Like, with Fallout 4, fun game, but they took the, the chat wheel and gave you... That was kind of the game where the world blew up and was like, these chat wheels aren't anything like what you're actually saying to these people, so you right, don't right. really know what result you're getting. Right. Yeah, well, and, then, and, and then in Andromeda... They, you know, your conversations made no difference. Like you had four different options, but and it didn't, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Two two sentences later, you were at the same place, no matter what. It always tied back into it, so it was like you could have these conversations. And then, of course, in in Andromeda, they removed the 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 Paragon Renegade system, so that like. You were no longer accruing points for good decisions or bad decisions. It was yeah. just like it. It was very. It it felt very surface level, where it was just like, who right. cares? Right. Pick one. You could just scroll the con. You could just scroll the 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 joystick, and whichever one you landed on, you just pick, and you're like, all right, it makes cool. no difference. Yeah, yeah. So it the, just the- it, it didn't matter, and that. That felt really empty and really, really hollow, and it felt like a huge step back in that process. Like, yeah. what you're doing needs to matter. What that was, that was why it was so such a big deal, such a game changing idea. Was that it was there were consequences. Consequences made everything feel different because right. in a lot of video games, there are no consequences to most anything that you do. It's like you a- don't. You don't feel the weight of any of the decisions or any of the, the, you know, so many one man army games, you have the entire halo series and you don't feel the weight of a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff until way later in those, in that series. It's almost like, um, it's like a movie set house, right? Like it's built for you, but the sink doesn't work. The walls are yeah. thin. It's like, well, come right, on, man. Exactly. Um, I think the game I played that best nailed this. It wasn't, well, it wasn't perfect in the reputation to like, the way it, it dealt with that, but but New Vegas, I think, was a masterpiece in so far as like, yep. Not only are these these side characters, if you don't have the right sequences, like a conversation with them, you might not uncover a quest. Like, there's a whole, you know, hour worth of gameplay out of this character that if you don't take the time to have the conversation where they're at the bar, she's not a part of your game going forward. Um, and then by the end of the game, you really kind of get this good overview of 
of like the consequences of your actions. So it, New Vegas was incredible at teasing you, man. You you yeah. felt like you knew you missed out on something when you didn't Every do it time. right. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. It was some of the best writing and dialogue and decision tree specifically with regards to dialogue though that I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, Drew seems to be experiencing the the chronic gamer issue of a connection issues here. So, we're with we're a, a boat without a rudder at the moment, but I guess as we kind of wrap the show up since we've been going for a hot minute here anyway. I AJ's obviously taking Mass Effect here. If if we're picking a game that you had to take in in this kind of category of important decision making, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. What would you pick? New Vegas? New Vegas. I would give an honorable mention answer to uh the Banner Saga games. Which I don't know if you guys have Yeah, fun, Banner Saga is fun. fun games. Those are really underrated games. Really underrated. Not it doesn't have obviously the depth, right? I mean, but your decision making you do also get that sense of like ah well, shit that I matters. Be-? Yeah. And like to the point where you can win or lose the game depending on how yeah. you look on it and and may have to restart the game. So it did, yeah, the consequences felt real. Yeah. Yeah. XCOM is another great series when you're talking about consequences where your decision making is a big thing because you, you always get, okay, hey, here are two missions that there are two or three missions that pop up at the same time. You can only do one, you have to choose. And so there are going to be negative, there are negative consequences to, every single one of the ones that you choose not to do. So which, which ones are you choosing? Which are the consequences you can live with and try to mitigate the best? And I think that's one of the things about XCOM that also makes it such a fun series for me to play is that you're always, it's, it's never like a straight line to victory. You're always kind of riding the highs and lows where, Oh, you come off this huge mission you're going to unlock some new gear. You're going to, your guys survive. You don't have any deaths. You know, it's, it's, oh, this is great. And then it's like, boom, two dark events hit at the same time. And you're like, okay, well, all of those right. good feels are gone because now I've got 12 new problems. And the prodigal son returns. Hello, everybody. Internet Bruto, issues are fun. Bruto, what's your answer to your own? Question? Ah, um, I want to say KOTOR, probably. Um, I really, really love the Bastila storyline in that game, if you've played it, where all of this was building up to this final battle, and Bastila gets turned evil, and you can either be evil yourself and join her and end up slaying the other Sith. And This game's super old, so sorry about the spoilers, but if you haven't played yet that's on you Um, and you either become like the lead Sith and you're a beast or you can be good and turn her back to the good side or you can fail at turning her back to the good side so it doesn't feel like it's on rails in exactly the right way a person a, a character that you've become pretty heavily attached to throughout the game you can potentially not save and that was like my first major experience with that as a situation where multiple outcomes are realistic. It's not, oh, you can't save her no matter what. It's you could have saved her. So I'll I'll, I'll stick with KOTOR. Why not? So assuming I've deduced the question properly from my time stuck in internet limbo... If it's if it is a, a first time of one of these, my answer is Chrono Trigger and the understanding that you are you're actually given the decision against spoilers for a game that came out in 1994. I think um, you are given the decision midway through the game to kill uh, somebody who could potentially become a member of your party. Uh, and if you're into the the more mysterious sort of anti-hero cool character uh, than the coolest member of your party. Uh, You're given an option where you can not get him. Uh, And so uh, I I remember, you know, that being like 
wanting one of your party members to rightfully get his revenge versus um, missing out on all of this other story and wanting to know more about this other person. Very real uh, consequences there. Uh, and then one that was kind of along the lines is in the, the, the sequel to it, though debatable whether or not Chrono Cross is actually a sequel to Chrono Trigger. But yeah, it's it's not really. It, it sort of exists in the same dimension or whatever. Um, but I always really, really loved, we, we know now there are a lot of games with like multiple endings and Chrono Trigger was one of the first to do that. But there really is like the, the right ending and then a bunch of weird stuff that could also have happened, which is fun, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, but I thought, Chrono Cross did a really good job of having its best ending or whatever you may consider it be um, something where you don't actually like you can just straight kill the final boss or whatever and win. But that's not how you get the best ending. Uh, you have to like line up magic based on music and notes and tones and like do this whole other thing that I thought was really, really super clever. Um and and I thought that game did a really good job of having multiple endings, all of which mattered, any of which felt like they could have easily been the canon singular ending. Uh, I always thought that was really, really well done in that game. Is that your favorite game in that category or just first? Uh, I mean, if, especially if I could put those two together, it's interesting because they handle that concept very differently but both of them have like characters you they're they're in chrono cross it's great i think chrono cross actually would be my favorite which is blasphemous to say to people who are fans of these games but in terms of like you can't get all of the playable characters your first time through you can't you have to make certain decisions uh, and it's this one or that one and there there are several times in which that's the case now you can replay the game through new game plus like i think it, it takes you three times through and you can get the full cast of characters finally on your team um but i always felt like that game's plot and themes are intrinsically about the consequence of making decisions and like sort of the fundamental question for anyone who hasn't played it there the the fundamental question that lies at at the core of that game is like you've got a main hero and he's very heroic and he does super heroic things and he would help anybody to but there's this alternate dimension where he died as a baby and in certain ways the world is much better off basically asking you the player to ask yourself the question what if there was an alternate world where you did not exist or you did for a very short period of time and you died in a freak accident as a child. And some people's lives were better because of it. Would you try to change that alternate dimension to make sure that you're a part of it? Um, and then there's just a ton of questions like that involved in it. So I've, I've always found that whole thing to be a very deep question asking game of, of, you know, whether or not it's the perfect video game or, or, or a good sequel to Chrono Trigger or other questions. But for me, uh, that was one of the most profound experiences I've had playing games, and it's kind of built on that. All right. Well. Oh, should I go back to I, hosting? I, I, <laughs> I think we're wrapping up here. I think we're just about done. I think so. There were... Uh, two other things that I wanted to mention is with regards to uh, the Twitch channel. Uh, first of all, I do have a, a Madden team together with the Broncos that were all taken in the draft. Uh, it's at nine and four now, getting ready for the playoffs. Jerry Judy with a thousand yard receiving season as a rookie. That's been a lot of fun to to run through. I try not to get burned too often with Oje Mudia. Uh, but the other thing was our Jackbox on saturday night uh i believe we're scheduled to do that again correct I should double check. Yeah. um no. yep there'll be a rocket Where league tournament it? that day and then jackbox after which spots still open in the rocket league tournament by the way if you want to play head on over to our uh our twitch page and, and hit the sign up I'll, I'll tweet it again after the pod here if you haven't signed up yet uh a couple spots open, so jump in and have some fun, and you have a chance to win some some cool DNVR merch as well. 
It'll be a 2v2 tournament this time around, so it'll be interesting to see how that changes things. Yeah. 2v2 uh, can be more punishing. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So, and if, if you're not familiar, the Jackbox is just a series of uh, fun party games. Last week, it was uh, just DNVR staff kind of hanging out, mostly doing trivia that Patrick Lyons is frustratingly good at. Yeah, apparently um, incredible at. Hated that. Um, luckily, I was declared the king of rap, which was also fun. Naturally. I think and as we all would have guessed coming in. Yeah. <laughs> you got <laughs> to come by. It gets late night hours. We start we start rap battling, and that's what actually happens. <laughs> I, mean, we're, uh, I think we're doing Quiplash this time, so that should be fun. Okay, yeah. So swing but, by, yeah. and then we might try to get, you know, uh, some of you all involved, but you got to make sure not to say too many dirty words. Uh, <laughs> you know, we got to we gotta keep all that on the up and up, but if, as long as we do that, we can get more people out there involved. So make sure that if you want to, uh, you're in the lounge, our, our Discord chat, uh, so you can get to be a part of that. You're following and subscribing on Twitch, especially if you've got Amazon Prime. You can link that up to your Twitch account. Give us a free sub. It helps us out. It costs you nothing. It's uh, really cool. And then you'll get notified whenever we go live with stuff like this. Again, it's not just you know Heroes of the Storm and Final Fantasy VII and MLB The Show. Sometimes it's Jackbox. And uh, well, a lot of times it's going to be Rocket League. Those are fun. Rocket League, I, I think, is my favorite game to watch. I mean, that's a whole other conversation we'll have to have next week. Just what is your favorite game to not participate in and just watch and hang out and uh, Brendan, thanks for hanging out, man. We'll have to make you a more regular part of this situation here. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, dudes. Uh, everybody out there, make sure you're following the DNVR Gaming Twitch, the Twitter channel. You know all the stuff. You subscribe to the DNVR.com. You check out whatever our deal of the week is. You get yourself some merch so you can have hats and shirts that look as good as what we're repping here on the live chat today. Remember, we do usually do these in uh, on Thursday afternoon. So if you want to come swing by, ask us some questions, let us know what video game to topics you want us to discuss, what video games you want us to review. For Brendan, AJ, and Ruto, I've been Drew Creaseman. You all have been awesome, and we will see you next time.